Welcome back to another episode of Modern Multifamily. I'm your host, Mike Wolber, and this is episode 18. I had a great time getting to know Shane Raby. He is a senior property manager with TriBridge, and in this conversation, we covered a handful of really fun topics. We hit on industry education, the role Shane plays with regional associations, and the value he sees both for operators as well as suppliers. And we also discussed some of the big learnings Shane is taking with him coming out of the pandemic into this next normal. The final thing we hit on was product adoption. So much technology entering the ecosystem and how we can better partner together to drive good on-site adoption in order to have the best and biggest impact for communities out there. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Shane was an amazing guest. Let's get into it. Well, Shane, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today, and I would love to start this off with just an introduction of who you are and really what your story is. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Shane Brady. I am a senior property manager over commercial and retail with Trowbridge Residential, and I've been in multifamily for about six years. And I'm always really curious, Shane, how someone found the industry. I know you've got a pretty eclectic background, but how was it that you found yourself being in this senior community manager role with TriBridge? So I, I'm sure it's not an uncommon story. I think most people that find themselves in multifamily, it was it was never, I don't think at three years old, anybody was like, hey, I'll be a property manager when I grow up. Um, so the industry kind of found me. Um, I had about 20 years of retail management experience. And someone reached out to me via LinkedIn and actually recruited me into the industry and made me an offer that was pretty on paper and I couldn't refuse. And I took the leap and never looked back. That's awesome. Well, in dialoguing a little bit uh, prior to today's uh, conversation on LinkedIn, you mentioned that uh, one of the of the big industry you know passions you have is education. And I know there's a, an abundance of opportunities out there, and I'm sure some is higher quality than others. I'd love to hear your take on on why you're so passionate about it and then maybe talk through some of the things that you see as being most valuable. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you know, from our prior conversations, I am based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I do serve on the board of directors for the Greater Charlotte Department Association um, in the Charlotte metro area, which represents um, about 170,000 units here locally. And um, part of my service to the association is I'm also the president of the Education Advisory Council for the association here in Charlotte. And that became a passion of mine for me going through the steps on my own to achieve credentials, CAM credential and a CAPS credential. And me personally, I don't have a college degree. I entered the workforce straight out of high school. I always had that vision and intention of going to college, but you know, life sort of happened and got caught up in things and found myself more career oriented and was really enjoying my career. But again, at that time, I worked um, long hours in retail, had a small child at home. You know, I was missing out on the ballet recitals and the soccer games and all those things. So when the opportunity was presented to me to cross into multifamily um, in a role that offered me more of you know, banker type hours per se. Uh, it was a very appealing opportunity. 
Um, but to advance myself and to show my commitment to the career that it, it wasn't just a job for me, it was a long-term career. You know, I felt like it was important to show that investment in myself to my employers. And I wanted to go on and pursue those, those avenues. And um, so I did achieve the CAM and then I was awarded a scholarship for the CAPS program. And I completed that uh, last year. So I like to instill that within, you know, people up and coming in the industry, especially new people to the industry that want to commit themselves and show that they're really in it for the long haul. I think it, it makes a world of difference and the perspective that you have coming out on the other side, um, it gives you a much bigger picture. Um, I think oftentimes on-site teams are sort of locked within those four walls that we have on site and they often don't see that bigger picture perspective that you really pick up from credential portions. That's awesome. I'm, I'm curious, this is a little bit of a dovetail because I, I know the CAM uh, you know, designation is, a, is an important one and congratulations. I, I know a lot of people who have attempted and just not committed the time, but I've also seen a bit of a rising growth in the certified apartment supplier or the CAS uh, designation on for us on the vendor supplier side. In your experience, uh, have you seen value in that for the the partners you work with, or do you have a an opinion on on the validity of that versus the CAM component? I definitely have an opinion on it. You know, I'm not able to speak obviously from the supplier side of it, but for us here in Charlotte, the CAS and CAM program are integrated, and so each each of the credentials has its own set of coursework, but then there's also a blended session. So for example, you know, CAM is five days, CAS is five days. They each may have two days separate and they have three days together. Um, so you get to interact. I think it offers a lot of opportunity for supplier exposure. Um, you get to be right there in the classroom working with property managers and on-site people that you really want to make those connections with. Um, and I think, it gives them a sense of what it's like on site since a lot of our suppliers and multifamily didn't necessarily begin on site. So they don't really know the the ins and outs of the day-to-day business on site and what we sort of see and deal with and overcome on a daily basis. It gives them that insight of, you know, what they're walking into when they step onto a property to, you know, try to sell their services. That's that's awesome. As you as you think through this like education approach with regional associations, like like what you're talking about, is there an ongoing like curriculum or cadence that you find yourself being plugged in with for more continued education, or is this mostly an upfront investment and in learning the industry how to be as effective as possible in your role, or is or is it maybe even a little bit of both? I definitely would say it's a, it's a little bit of both, but I think you know certainly continuing through the rungs of the ladder with the credentials, you know, the national apartment leasing professional was recently just changed to CALP. So it's now certified apartment leasing professional. And I think for leasing agents to start out with that and then moving up to CAM and then to CAPS um, or CAS, if you're on the supplier side, I think it's important to continue up that ladder. But once it's accomplished, you know, you do have to renew those credentials and have continued education hours each year. And I think that piece is equally as important to keeping the education current. And, you know, as you know, our business is ever changing, you know, especially within the last 18 months, you know, things are constantly being added in or adjusted and you have to stay refreshed and aware of those things in order for your credential to carry the same weight. 
Got it. So is, is that where you see the value of industry associations, especially on the regional side, just that, that relevance factor, as there's so many different trends, let alone, you know, laws and legislation that are changing in our space at a pretty rapid rate? Or uh, I, I'm curious, where do you see the, the big value for those industry associations for those of you on the operator side? There is, there's so much value, honestly. It's really hard to pinpoint any one specific thing. I think they hope to filter down a lot of information. You know, a lot of stuff is shared at the National Apartment Association level, and then it gets filtered down through the state levels, and then, of course, through local chapters. Um, I think one of the biggest you know, value adds for me personally is the, the networking opportunity that's there. Um, another thing sometimes that suppliers or vendors um, aren't necessarily impacted by as much would be the, the ever-changing hands of properties. You know, unfortunately for us on site, a property can go up for sale at, at any moment and it's just the nature of the business. You know, it's, it's almost flattering if your property goes up for sale, you've achieved the numbers, you've achieved the occupancy, and your investors see the value in selling it at that point. But on the flip side of that, you potentially are putting yourself out of work. So I think having that education and having the networking connections uh, can help you quickly land on your feet if your company isn't able to absorb you in another place and your property sells during that transition. You've got people that you can reach out to that already have a relationship with you. They already know your work ethic. They already know what you can contribute and usually land on your feet much quicker that way than if you just went sort of flailing about with, with no connections. That's awesome. I'd, I'd honestly never thought about that benefit. And we see change of management, change of ownership daily in our business. And that's a huge part of our our strategy is keeping up as you know the, the deals move around. But that makes so much sense to me. And quick sidebar, you've got a, a big speaking engagement on a panel coming up with the Apartment Association for North Carolina in a couple of months, right? Yes, September 16th, I'm going to be part of a panel um, talking about being new in the industry. We're going to be trying to share that out with some uh, local community colleges as well as some high school programs that we have here in Charlotte uh, as people are kind of coming out into that workforce that perhaps college isn't the route for them and they want something a little bit more vocational. Um, So we're going to share that both internally for people that are new in the industry as well as externally for people who are potentially interested in joining the industry. That's awesome. Will that that be back in person or is that going to still be virtual? Uh, It's going to be a little bit of both. It's going to be a webinar. um, So you will be able to watch it virtually, but we are going to have sort of a live studio audience that will be there to pose questions and we'll be taking questions online as well. That's cool. That's I'm super excited. I'd love to help promote that a little bit for you as it gets closer. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. I'll, I'll share the link with you. You can, you can put it out there in your, in your universe. <laughs> I'll, de- I'll definitely do that. So I'd love to jump into just the world of onsite. I think this last 16, 18 months has been crazy. And as we step into the next door normal, uh, there's so much opportunity for all of us. I think technology wise to supply our customers with the right tooling to be successful, but also for you as a leader on the on-site side, scaling culture and all of these things that have changed. I'm not sure where to start, but what what has this last big period of time felt like for you, especially as we're in this, this big transition? Oh, it's, it's felt like it's moving in slow motion. (laughs) Um, I, I, on the coming out of it, I see so much different now than, than when we headed into, you know, the onset of the the pandemic. I think we've all learned 
so much in how we can adjust our operations. And the fact that so many management companies and owner operators were able to still thrive throughout the pandemic, um, just simply by adjusting operations, you know, making things virtual, um, self-guided tours, all of those things have been, you know, greatly impactful and I think will carry forward with us for, for years to come. Are there specific things, Shane, that you're seeing like really stick and really make sense to hang on to even in a hybrid or hundred percent back in person model? And I'm always curious when I talk to folks like you of the things you adopted, whether it was strategy, technology, or both, what do you see yourself hanging on to? I think there is a little bit of combination from all of the things For me personally, one of the sites that I I help assist with with my company is a boutique property that's only 48 units. So it's it's a very small property. There's not an office on site. There's very few amenities on site. So it's run as a satellite office. So I think what we've learned from from virtual and self-guided tours throughout the pandemic can certainly carry forward in a situation like with that property, where now we potentially could have clients, you know, 24 hours a day. Not, of course, not that we would do it, you know. We don't want people touring units at midnight, um, but to have, you know, something like a, like a tour 24 or rently where someone can go on and, you know, grab keys and grab a fob and self-guide, you know, through a unit without one of us having to be there in person. Uh, I think there's a lot of value that we can take from that moving forward. And I didn't, I didn't mean to stump you, but it's a fun conversation. I'm, I'm curious within that same realm, have, have there been any significant challenges on helping assist your teams to be able to really adopt this new technology. That's a big personal passion of mine is making sure that, you know, great technology is is adopted to its correct capacity to make sure that properties can truly unleash the value of it. And I think that's a big opportunity for us to partner better together. But how, how has that been from you as a, from like the perspective of a leader to make sure that as you're rolling out new things, that it's actually being adopted, used and iterated uh, as necessary? You know, as, as a manager, we certainly have to do our due diligence with follow-up. You know, it's one thing to have all these new pieces of technology and new things that are advancing and you sort of drop it in the lap of, you know, your, your leasing team that's the face of your community we have to be able to follow up and make sure that they're understanding and getting that buy-in to make sure they're using it. The, if you want to call it a benefit of, of the pandemic was really that they, they didn't have much choice. You know, a lot of our leasing teams, you know, their livelihood comes from leasing commissions. So they wanted to make sure that they continued to see those come through. So they had no choice, but to adopt these things that were coming out um, and I think that that made it easier for them to sort of latch on and take hold. Whereas now, if something else new came in, you know, change can be difficult for certain people, especially when there's a lot of technology being thrown at them at once. Um, I think the more user-friendly each of these pieces of software is, the easier the buy-in is. When we put things in front of them that require a lot of extra steps and a lot of preparation, they, they kind of get lost in the shuffle. So I think from the management side, for us, it's more about following up and probing for understanding and making sure that they see the benefit and they see the bigger picture, see what's on the other side of it. And as long as you can paint that picture clearly, you can get them on board. I think that's huge, man. I mean, driving enough of a story to create that buy-in and taking the time, that that sounds like a big nod to the culture you all are building because 
I think a lot of times it becomes a throw it out there and hope that it's landing and to too many times that's the case. So that's, that's really neat to hear. Do you see certain components of your company culture feeding into that being hands-on and highly communicative or, or, I mean, on the culture front, that's got to play an influence there to make sure that people are receptive to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that education piece really ties back into that. And, you know, one of the benefits of, you know, my company with Tribridge is in the, in the grand scheme of things, we're a relatively small company. So you get a little bit more of that one-on-one personal interaction in terms of onboarding new staff members and training. And that filters down to, you know, rollouts of new products, and new technology. I think we get a little bit more of that personal time and investment into making sure that that buy-in is there. That's huge. Um, do you guys do some sort of like annual leadership conference or get get the group together to to make sure you're staying aligned at the at the leadership level or or what does that piece look like? And I I'm sure it's changed a little bit with COVID as well. Yeah, all of those things have been virtual, of course. You know, for the last eighteen months or so, um, we usually have, of course, we come together as a company, the management as well as our service supervisors. We come together for our annual budget boot camp. And then we all come together annually for usually our recognition ceremonies. And outside of that, there's usually quarterly gatherings within regional pockets. And so each regional manager will pull all of their properties and their teams together and sort of regroup and make sure everyone's on the same page. But as far as the entire company, it's just once or twice a year. That's cool. Well, as you've been talking, I've been taking notes and uh, I have a couple questions for you that we didn't necessarily prep on, uh, but I, I want to hear your take on a couple of things. The, the first one, Shane, is just leasing. I'm really curious on the leasing side. We're exiting leasing season on the conventional side, gearing up for you know big turn in student housing right now. Have there been any monumental shifts that you've seen from a leasing side in terms of the type of renter that's coming to your front door or the experience that they're expecting? And I just want to hear your take on, on leasing in 2021. I mean, I think that's a, an open-ended question, depending on the, the demographic that you serve and the type of property. You know, for, for me, I'm overseeing class A properties and being in the Charlotte market, we're a huge banking town. You know, corporate offices for Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and um, Truist, formerly BB&T, um, all of those employees were released as work from home. Um, some, unfortunately, even lost their jobs um, through those companies and others, whereas now we're seeing that rush of people that are now being called back to work. A lot of corporate offices have set the standard for September 1st to be the, the big return to work. So where we saw an influx of like a mass exodus, I guess, where people went back to crash on mom and dad's couch or live in the basement because either they were furloughed or lost their job or just were told they could work from home. So they no longer needed an apartment. Now we're seeing the reverse where they're all coming back and and need an apartment. So I think the biggest change that we're seeing on the leasing front is really pricing. And especially for those of us that are on, you know, revenue management system that has that knee jerk reaction as more people are in the market for an apartment, we're seeing the rates rise. So we're seeing less concessions, at least in the Charlotte market, and much higher rents. You know, for my properties, I'm seeing rents at greater than pre-pandemic rates. Wow. Uh, When you look at the actual residents that you're working with day in and day out on site, have you seen any shift in amenities that really matter to residents now that people are probably spending more time on site than they have 
you know, in, in, in years past, are you finding yourself seeing certain amenities matter more, thus changing your leasing conversations to highlight the things that you have that your residents find value? Overall, residents are just happy that amenities are fully functional, back up and running. You know, they missed that for that period of time that they had to close down. The biggest feedback that we see mostly from prospects more so than residents is there's a there's an increased value in having that work from home space. And some communities, newer communities, class A buildings are building in sort of like co-working spaces, private offices that are in a shared amenity space. That's what people are looking for, um, especially the ones that still have that work from home option. They want a place outside of their four walls to be able to go and escape their apartment and still have a private work environment. You nailed it. That's so true. My wife is working working from home right now and we're in an apartment and she is full on wishing that we had that kind of dedicated space for the occasional call or just a couple hours of sanity. So that's really cool and progressive you guys to be doing that. The, the last question I have for you just kind of, you know, in line with a lot of what we've been talking about, but also just like your observation, which is so value valuable is this, this conversation of the resident journey. Like you think about the, the choreography that we're creating for our residents from marketing into leasing and then into making their time on site so good that retention becomes more predictable. Have you seen any significant changes there recently in terms of how people are finding you, what they're looking for when they lease or why they're choosing to stay. Like I'm always interested to hear someone's take on, you know, what's happening or where there's room for improvement for the specific journey for our residents. Yeah. I mean, I I hate to keep referencing, you know, COVID and the the pandemic, but it really did change people's views on, you know, what's, what's of value to them, what's important to them in their home. And more and more in the Charlotte market, especially we see people that want that walkability, um, less is more type mentality. You know, some of our residents would prefer not to have a vehicle if they don't have to. They want to be able to walk to a grocery store. They want to be able to walk to nightlife and breweries and local restaurants. Um, but also having everything they need within their home from that somewhat minimal, minimalistic approach. They want the basics. They're not necessarily looking for the most square footage. Um, they want, as long as they have a place to put a bed, a place to have internet, a place to be able to get their work done, and a, you know, the place to cook. That's that's really all they all they need. That's cool. I mean, I, I think that's about as simple as it gets, but it makes sense, and I think that definitely resonates. It's modern simplicity, I guess, is the the easy way to sum it up. People just want convenience. That feels like it should be the headline on your, on your community website. Modern simplicity is pretty catchy to me. Well, I'm curious for this is a little bit of a curveball, but do you have any questions for me before we look to wrap up today? I'm always curious. I mean, I have a different perspective than some just only being on the supplier side, but uh, I'm curious if there's anything that, that you had for me before we look to close today. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll kind of spend some of the some of the same questions you asked me back to you. Like, what do you see in terms of long-term, the the lasting impacts that we've seen over the last 18 months, how do you think that will impact our industry in the long haul? You know, I, I, it's, it's really interesting. I think it's super fun to be in our space right now because there's so much spaghetti being thrown at the wall right now. 
I think you're seeing, you know, this influx of capital. It's going to be another record year from a capital standpoint. I think we're going to cross 8 billion this year of, of, you know, money entering multifamily purely on the tech side to drive innovation. And one of the things that, you know, I think I'm most interested in is, is seeing and really measuring which of this spaghetti is really driving the most true impact on site. I think that companies that are that are now creating more of an ability to leverage, you know, residents as influencers to me is really interesting. That 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 resident voice to be able to shine through uh, when when prospects are looking to make that important buying decision. That's interesting to me. I also think that, you know, we're seeing this this national difficulty of staffing these frontline teams, contact centers, leasing teams, and you're nodding your head. I know it's been a challenge. Virtual leasing is is still in its infancy, whether that's, you know, converting a phone call to a text or whether it's driving someone to a chat type interface to be able to automate some of that. But I, I think that that has a ton of potential, but I really think it requires significant on-site adoption, which is why I was asking you about just the holistic conversation of product adoption. And, and if I was to shift my word barf into something eloquent, I would say that I see a significant opportunity for suppliers to partner more strategically with operators and clients to be able to come with come up with property playbooks in order to make the technology truly successful, whether that's marketing or leasing or uh, tertiary technology, let alone harnessing the things you already have on site, like some of the tools you've already talked about. Product adoption is going to become more important because we're going to have less frequency and consistency with people on site. And I think that's going to be huge for us to nail over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Shane, I know every time I do an episode, uh, folks that listen have questions for the guest, whether it's career advice or networking, like you talked about, do you have a couple ways that folks can get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more or just getting to know you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Um, Shane is not my legal first name, so you can find me on LinkedIn as R Shane Rady. Um, and you know, if you would like to drop my email address out there in comments and share it publicly, I certainly don't mind people contacting me by email as well. Okay, I'll definitely do that. Well, Shane, it's always a pleasure to meet someone virtually when it comes to this podcast thing and uh, looking forward to doing my first in-person podcasting experience at NA Apartmentalized next month. But thank you a ton for joining, joining today. It was nice to meet you. Yes, thank you for having me. Very nice to meet you as well.